me to Isaiah chapter 9. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a visitor, I'd like to welcome you as well. And our sermon series this uh, Christmas season is Christ the King. Pretty simple message, but uh, powerfully unfolding in God's Word. Isaiah chapter 9, a famous uh, prophecy about the birth of Jesus. I'll begin in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow before you and we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading and preaching of your word. Would you teach us, would you transform us, change us, convict, encourage, use your word in our hearts and in our lives, we pray now in Jesus' precious name, amen. Promises are a huge part of our lives. Think about marriage vows. I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses that I will be your loving and faithful spouse. We all know what people say in a courtroom. I do solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. You know what the name of loans used to be back in the old days? It's a promissory note. You promised to pay back the money that you borrowed. And our military and civil servants, I do solemnly swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Promises are a huge part of our lives. Promises are also a huge part of Christmas and Christianity. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, there were multiple building progressive prophecies and promises, not only that Messiah would come, but about where he would be born and in what manner he would be born. In fact, we saw this last week, the promises about God sending a rescuer go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the beginning of the Bible. As already stated this morning, our theme is simple, Christ the King, and we've looked already at our needed King. This morning we'll think of Christ, our promised King, 
On Christmas Eve, we'll talk about him being our sent king, and then next Sunday, our returning king. God's promises that I want us to focus on this morning, God's promises are so important for us because we have a complicated relationship with promises. We have a complicated relationship with promises because we have broken promises that we've made to ourselves time and time again. We've been let down by people, leaders, pastors, teachers, coaches, parents, politicians, spouses, siblings, because of broken promises. We want to believe promises. We were hardwired for hope, but it's easy to become cynical. It's easy to become jaded. And this is the reason, one of the reasons why it is so important for us to celebrate Christmas. Our lives, past, present, and future, turn and hang on God's promises. And Christmas reminds us that God keeps His promises and that we can trust in Him. So let's look at this passage together. The first thing I want us to see is a problem, promises and problems. And promises mean so much to us. They mean more to us when we are walking through the darkness, when, we, when we're facing problems in our lives, when we face difficulties and hurdles. That was true for God's people in Isaiah chapter 7 through 9. This part of Isaiah was written with the southern kingdom of Judah in mind. It was written around 732 B.C. What was going on? Well, God's people had problems. There was a menacing dark cloud settling upon them politically and militarily. Isaiah chapter 8, we read it in our call to confession, talks about the impending Assyrian invasion. And just ten years later, the northern kingdom of Israel would fall to the Assyrians. In fact, as, as Isaiah wrote, parts of the northern kingdom were all already under Assyrian rule. Nephtali and Zebulun. So there was this ominous sense of doom for the people of of Judah, the southern kingdom. And the irony is that they had gone to the Assyrians for help before, and now the Assyrians were breathing down their neck, threatening invasion. And one of the questions we can think about here is how did God's people respond? And I'm sad, it's sad to say, but they didn't respond very well. They responded with fear and insecurity and manipulation. Isaiah 8.12 Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear all that they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, Him shall you honor as holy. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. Yes, the Assyrians were knocking at the door. The problem was that God's people responded. Instead of returning to God and and trusting in the Lord and repenting and running back to God, They fed and fueled their fears. As Isaiah, as Psalm 121 says, they ate the bread of anxious toil, and that led them to actually stumble on Yahweh, their rock, instead of finding refuge in him. And we get a glimpse of what their response should have been from Isaiah 8:16, from Isaiah himself and the remnant of God's people. I will wait for the Lord who's hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me. Isaiah trusted in God in the face of his fears. 
And here's the thing. He didn't ignore the fear. He didn't pretend that it wasn't there. He acknowledged it. But he ran back to the God, to the rock of his salvation. We may be very afraid. We're called to do the same thing. And as we see the passage unfold, the story unfold, things got worse for God's people. Isaiah 8.20 says uh, that they know no dawn. There's distress and darkness and gloom of anguish. They will be thrust into deep darkness. And what we see here is that God equates the fear and the dread with darkness. They're interchangeable. And there will be no dawn. Let's face it. We're all scared of the dark. Kids are the only ones who are willing to admit it. And they had problems. They had problems in the 8th century B.C. And their problems reinforced the power and necessity of a promised king. They had problems. We have problems. I don't think we're under threat of imminent invasion, but we have our fair share of fears and anxiety and darkness What about the kids? What about my family? What about the future? What about the economy and my job and my friendships? What about mom and dad? What about my health? There are all sorts of things that we can be afraid of. How should we respond? Our calling and our challenge is to lean on God's promises through our problems, to trust in Him daily. Sometimes we need to do it moment by moment we need each other to help hold us up when we're weak remember what david said in psalm 56 when i am afraid i put my trust in you so my question is what are you doing with your darkness what are you doing with the darkness and difficulties in your life are you feeding them are you fueling them Or are you seeking to offload them to King Jesus? Are you blaming others? Lashing out? Indulging in self-pity? Maybe blaming God? Are you trying to carry the the weight of the world on your shoulders? That will crush you. There are plenty of problems in our world. There are plenty of problems in our lives. And God calls us to trust in Him and His promises through and in the problems that we face. Rely on Christ our promised King. Second thing we see from this passage is in verses 1 through 5, we see promises and hope. And in, in verses 1 through 5 of Isaiah chapter 9, the, the tone distinctively changes. There's, there's a change, a decided change in tone. We turn from the fear of invasion and anxiety and darkness to lavish, rich, amazing, hard to imagine promises from God. One author said it like this, The stubborn hope of Advent begins in the dark. You wait, you watch, you pray, and most of all, you don't give up. There were promises and hope. Let's think about their hope. Verses 1-5 through of Isaiah 9. And this is an interesting passage because in Hebrew, these verses are written in what's known as the prophetic perfect tense what does that mean it means that they are promises written in the past tense because of their absolute confidence in coming true 
the absolute surety that they will take place. God's promises, dear ones, are so real, they're so powerful that they're written as if they've already happened. They're a done deal. And this is not denial. This isn't wishful thinking. It is confidence and hope in God. And God's promises don't always unfold the way we want. They don't always arrive in the way we expect according to our timing. But God's Word is true. His promises are real. In a word, they bring hope. Let's think about some of the details. Verse 1. Galilee of the nations. Wonderfully and ironically, Isaiah highlights hope in those areas I mentioned earlier that were already under Assyrian rule. Zebulun and Naphtali, also known as Galilee of the Gentiles. They will be a place of blessing. The message is clear. The promise is clear. Hope for salvation and deliverance from our promised king comes to us in the darkest place. It comes to us in the darkest places of our lives. And you remember, Galilee is special because that's where Jesus performed much of his ministry. And that's a place of hope. Look at verse 2. Light comes out of the darkness. They were overwhelmed with fear. They were resting in a land of deep darkness, walking in their own wisdom and strength and resources. And that, that's an exhausting way to live. We've all been there. But Christ, our promised King, brings hope and light in the darkness. Remember Luke chapter 1? Messiah will give light to those who sit in darkness. It's a direct quote from Isaiah 9. Jesus turns our darkness into light. And it's a precious promise, not just in the 8th century, not just in the 1st century, but now for us today. Look at verse 3. It talks about multiplying and growing in joy. Part of the promise of Christ our King means that we don't just survive. God's people don't just endure by the skin of their teeth. They will multiply. Their joy will increase. Think back to God's promises to Abraham your descendants will be like the stars of the heaven and the sand on the seashore. Because of Christ the King, there will be joy. There will be joy like at the celebration at the harvest or the celebration of a great victory. I think about uh, those, those films of New York City after World War II when they had ticker tape parades and everyone was filled with so much joy. That's the idea that we see here. God brings joy. And wars and oppression shall cease. Verses 4 and 5. Jesus' reign brings, breaks the yoke of bondage and slavery. And this is what we've been studying in the book of, of Exodus. God's people being delivered out of Egypt. God breaks the bonds of slavery. And then in verse 5, we have this image of the boots of trampling soldiers and Garments rolled in blood being burned in the fire. You know what that means? It means peace will reign. It means there's no longer need for bloody garments and, and soldiers' army boots. They'll all be burned up because of God's peace and God's reign. The, the promise of Christ our King brings hope. He brought hope to them. It also brings hope to us. How? Well, we look back at the promises filled by Christ our King 
and our faith is strengthened. Look back and think about some of the ways that you've seen God work in yourself and in others. We've seen the light dawn in the darkness. We've seen God's kingdom increase. We've seen people come to know and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen glimpses of oppression ceasing because of Jesus' rule and reign. In a word, we know the promises of salvation are real. We look back and we look forward in hope. Expecting Jesus to ultimately complete and fulfill His promises to us. So, as we think about application here, where do you need to be reminded of God's promises and hope? Where do you need to be reminded of God's promises and hope this morning? How do you need to be reminded that God turns darkness into light? And you may be saying to yourself, Pastor, the darkness is so great and it's so pervasive and I honestly don't know if Christ's light can shine in the darkness of my life. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe you feel like you've lost the joy of your salvation. Maybe there's a child or a family member who has abandoned the faith and the darkness seems so great. Maybe you or someone you love is struggling or trapped in addiction. Maybe cynicism has crept in in your life and it feels like it's just taken over. Dear ones, Christ, our promised King, brings hope. Hope for salvation. Hope for transformation. Hope for joy and grace and strength and reconciliation. Remember what it says in John? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And if your faith burns low this morning, take heart. As God said, a bruised reed He will not break and a smoking, smoldering ember He will not snuff out. Oh God, Give us hope, faith, and trust in You to keep going, to keep serving, to keep loving You and others. Jesus wins and we win with Him. We look back in confidence. We look forward in hope because Christ is our promised King. Last thing I want us to see from this passage is a promise and a child. When we get to verses 6 and 7, the promises in Isaiah 9 are building They're stacking on top of one another. I think about a a good locker room speech by by a great coach. And he says where the team has been, what's happened in the past, what they've accomplished, what they've overcome. And then he talks about where they're going in the future and what they're going to do when they win this game and make their way to the championship. Excitement builds Energy grows. And then we come to Isaiah 9-6. The victory, the glory, the payoff. A child? God meets our deepest need and solves our greatest problem and fulfills our hopes and longings with a child? Seriously? People must have thought, we need a strong leader. We need a warrior. We need a, someone who's a shrewd politician. Someone who can project and carry strength and carry us to victory. Dear ones, this is part of the glory of Christmas and the glory of Christianity. 
God accomplishes His purposes in the most unlikely ways. He keeps His promises through the birth of a baby. And what makes this baby, this child, this son, so precious? Well, look at verse 9. To us a son is born, and to us a child is given. He's for us. This child, Savior, Jesus Christ, our promised King, is for us. He came down out of heaven. He entered into this world. He became a man. He was born of a woman, born under the law. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way, love came down at Christmas all for us. He was given to us. The greatest gift that the universe has ever known has been given to us, and the world will never be the same. What else is so special about the promise of this child? One, it's that he's a man. Well, obviously he's a man. He was born in a manger. But Philippians tells us that he humbled himself by becoming a man. Jesus was fully human. Like us in every way, yet without sin. Jesus did not bypass being human. He was a child. He was a teenager. He was an adult for us. I'll let that sink in for a moment. Whatever you've experienced, whatever you're going through in your life, Jesus Christ, our promised King, knows about it. He doesn't know about it in an abstract way. He knows about it in a flesh and blood, I've walked in their shoes type of way. He knows. He cares. God's promises are fulfilled through the humanity of Christ our King. He's also God. This is another reality that cannot be overlooked. It's a clear part of the message. Jesus is Messiah and He is God. Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Christ rules on David's throne forever. Humanity and divinity come together perfectly. We see it in Isaiah chapter 9. Let's think about some of the ways that that's expressed here. Wonderful counselor. Literally, he's a wonder of a counselor. Jesus is all wisdom. Yet he also cares. He's a helper. He comes alongside us and helps us and walks with us. You ever been in a time in your life when you feel so broken and so down and so at the end of your rope that you just have to cry out to God and ask for help? That's when Jesus, Messiah, our wonderful counselor, meets us with wisdom and mercy. He's mighty God. Christ is almighty God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's what makes Jesus' life and His mission and His obedience so powerful. It took on eternal weight and glory because He is God in the flesh. And so when He laid down His life on the cross for our sins, His sacrifice had infinite value. He's everlasting Father. Christ, our promised King, is everlasting. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last. He was and is and is to come. 
And He's like a father who cares for His children. He loves us, not in uh, in an abstract way. He's not an aloof leader. There is relationship. You've heard me say this before. In the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we go from the courtroom of heaven where we are declared not guilty into the family room of heaven where we are adopted into God's family, daughters and sons. He's a Prince of Peace. Jesus' rule and reign brings peace. What did the angels say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Jesus told His disciples in the upper room, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He has peace. He gives peace. And He reigns forever on David's throne. God's people were yearning, longing for a true King, a faithful, loving, powerful King to sit on David's throne forever. Christ, our promised King, is that man. He's the God-man who came as a child and became our King. A few questions as we close. First of all, is Christ, our promised King, your King? Is He the Lord and Master of your life? Have you surrendered and accepted the full free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. We can't fix ourselves. We can't figure it all out. We can't run the world. We can't manage and manipulate the future. There is only one who can do that, who rules and reigns this world, and who can rule and reign your life. His name is Jesus. And the good news is that He came for us. And you don't have to buy or earn your citizenship in, into heaven, into His kingdom. He bought it. He earned it. He gives it to us as a free gift and we receive it by faith, by repenting and believing in Him. Like the father in the story of the prodigal son, He waits to be gracious to you. So if you haven't submitted your life to Jesus Christ, why not today? Are you tired of running things your way? Jesus is a gracious King. And if Christ is your promised King this morning... What promises do you need to remember and act on today? Where are you tempted to let your problems overshadow God's promises? Where are there situations in your life where you're tempted to give up hope instead of to trust in the promises of God? Remember, God is working. He's accomplishing His purposes, His plan. He's done it through the birth of a child who would later lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sins. We can trust in God's promises because he's already made good on them. And he'll do it again. And one of the greatest privileges and adventures of being a Christian is that we get to trust him and follow him and shine the light of Christ's glory into this world. We don't do it perfectly. Each of us has plenty of flaws. But when we live lives of faith and repentance and humility and point others to Jesus Christ, the light of the world, even in a feeble way, we give glory to God. May God help us. May the Lord Jesus help us to trust 
in Him through our problems, to hope in Him through the darkness, and to worship Him as Messiah, God, man, the child who became our Savior, who is our King, who laid down His life for us. That allows us to sing joy to the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your promises. We admit that we struggle to believe them. Strengthen our faith and help us to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.